He is risen from the dead, just as he said. Matthew chapter 28, verse 6. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This is our Easter Sunday episode titled, Reasons for Jesus' Resurrection. We are celebrating with you the glorious good news that our Savior died for our sins and was raised from the dead to make us right with God. Here's Senior Pastor Perry Duggar. Thank you for spending part of your Easter weekend with us here at Brookwood. Today's message will examine reasons for Jesus' resurrection. The crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus comprise the core events of the Christian faith. And according to New Testament scholars, it occurred in the first week of April, either in either year A.D. 30 or 33. There's a few other years, but those are the two that most argue. In fact, one advocate for the year 33 particularly pointed out that Jesus was resurrected on April the 5th of the year A.D. 33, so just a few days ago. But today, we'll focus on what the resurrection revealed or what it proves to us. Our theme verse, you can take it out. The outline is there as part of your program. And the theme verse for Matthew 28 says, He is risen from the dead just as he said. Just a couple of things I think that the resurrection proves from the Scripture. First, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove my forgiveness. Some of the verses we'll just read from the screen. Others will read from the Scripture because we'll be jumping around a little bit. But Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says, He was handed over to die because of our sins, to die by crucifixion. And He was raised to life to make us right with God. Now that passage is thought by many, it's not only a paraphrase of the Greek Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint. You'll see it sometimes in the uh, footnotes of your Bible, the letters LXX, and that refers to the Septuagint. And this is Isaiah 53, verse 12, in that Greek Old Testament. But these words were very likely an early Christian confession or a statement of faith. And it may have even been something that the early church sang. But let's look at it. Let's break it down a little bit. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Who handed over Jesus? Who? Y'all are mumbling. Who? Judas. I got to have a Judas right there. One vote for Judas. Who else? Pilate. Who else? No, Roland had it right. Judas had a role. We saw this last week. Pilate had a role. So did the Jewish religious leaders. They all had a role. But it was God the Father who handed over his son. In fact, Acts chapter 4 says that they did what God determined they should do when they put the son of glory to death. Acts 4, 27 and 28. You see, for God to remain just, and our God is a holy God. He's a perfect God. He's an absolutely fair and just God. Some of the pagan gods were, were capricious. They were dishonest. They, they were cruel. 
They tricked people. They weren't reliable. They weren't noble. But our God is absolutely just. But for him to remain just, the sins of all who would ever be forgiven had to be punished fully, completely, also perfectly in the right measure. You see, offenses against an eternal being, God the Father, required the death of another eternal being, God the Son, as punishment. The latter part of Romans 4 says, raised to life to make us right with God. And it means that Jesus was restored to life and that that restoration proved our forgiveness was secured. Or did it? Did the resurrection prove we'd been forgiven? Y'all are quiet. The day's warm. It's not raining. Did it? It didn't. It revealed it, but it didn't cause it. It wasn't actually, it, didn't, it, it did prove it, but it didn't cause it. Jesus' crucifixion, you see, wasn't accomplished by the resurrection. It was accomplished by the crucifixion. But his resurrection then proved that our forgiveness was accomplished. So it communicates to us that it truly happened. That his sacrifice was accepted. But it wasn't caused by the resurrection. It was actually caused by the crucifixion. Christianity is unique as a world religion. Because we have a living Savior. The only religion with a living Savior. 1 Corinthians 15. Here's the significance. And if Christ has not been raised. Then your faith is useless. And you are still guilty of your sins. You see, if Jesus had any sins of his own, he could not have died for ours. And he would not have been raised from the dead. He would have remained lifeless. He would have been buried in that limestone hillside as punishment for his own sins. You see, our Savior, Jesus, wasn't merely a wise teacher. You know, it's, it's popular today to embrace him for his teachings. But he wasn't merely a wise teacher who pointed out the way. He was a sacrifice who provided the way to salvation through the sacrifice of himself. And if Jesus hadn't been raised... We would have doubted the truth of his words. We would have questioned his teaching. And we would have wondered whether we had ever been forgiven. We would have spent our lives insecure and uncertain. We would have been striving for a salvation about which we could never be sure. And we could never truly attain. You see, without Jesus' resurrection, we would be in doubt about the sufficiency of of Jesus' death. Jesus took our sin and we received his righteousness. How did that happen? Merely by trusting in his sacrifice. You see, when I rely on Jesus' sacrifice for my forgiveness, 
I'm fully pardoned. My sins are erased. They're expunged. They're even forgotten. The Scripture says God doesn't even remember our sin. And so we can enter fully into relationship with Him, guilt-free. How many of you have been born again and yet you're hanging on to mistakes you've made? You're holding on to guilt that you have. You, you may even be immersed in shame. That's a misunderstanding of what happened in Jesus' death. When Jesus died for your sins, raised to prove you were forgiven, all that guilt is gone. It's been fully paid for. In fact, if we, if we continue to beat ourselves with guilt, if we continue to, to struggle with shame, what we're doing is we're undervaluing the life and the death of Jesus for our sakes. So have you relied on Jesus' sacrifice for you individually, personally, so that your sins are forgiven? Jesus was also raised from the dead to provide power for new life. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Now, does that verse refer to water baptism? Does it? No. It signifies rather being immersed into Christ when we trust in Him so that we are united and identified with him. When he died, we had become part of him, so that our old sinful selves died with him. And this water baptism that we perform is symbolic, and it symbolizes a spiritual reality that happens when we're born again. When we lay someone over underneath the surface of the water. It symbolizes that they are buried. They have died and they've been buried to an old, selfish, self-centered way of living. And they're raised to live in newness of life, following Christ in all things. First Peter 4 tells us about what happened in that baptism. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we are healed. Well, how can such a thing happen? And how can it be that he died for my sins in particular? Do you realize that? He died for every individual, specific, personal sin. It wasn't that he did this symbolically and he thought, I'll kill myself, I'll let myself be killed, in other words, and, and I'll do that in their place. It, it, it wasn't like that. It was more something supernatural, metaphysical, that our sins were actually placed on him, infused into him. He experienced them. I think that's what caused him to sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Eden, I mean, in the, um, <laughs> not the, the Garden of Gethsemane, in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because if you think about it, thousands of people were put to death by Romans, and they were all crucified. So there were many people who suffered 
the spikes through their wrists and through their feet, the, the lashes on their back from the whip. But the difference, the distinction of Jesus was that he actually was taking on our sins, which means a perfectly sinless man would experience the individual personal sins that all of us would ever commit. And so I think that's the stress. And he said, take from me this bitter cup. And then because he became sin, the Father would separate from him. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says, And Christ became our sin. It was personalized to him. And so that's how when he died for us, it cleansed us of all of that sin, all that we would ever commit. Romans 6, 4 continues. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. The Greek translation literally says we may walkness, walk in newness of life. You see, we were united with him in his death. We're also united with him in his resurrection. And because that happened, there's a new nature. There's a new quality. There's a new character to our lives. We are different people because we've been born again. Do you remember that day? Do you know when you changed? Could you describe it? You say, well, you're making me insecure. I can't, I can't name the day or the hour. That really doesn't matter. But can you identify the difference between you today and what you were before? You know, I watched the Masters. I'm not a golfer, but I am a native of Augusta. And all the teenagers in Augusta work on the course. At least we did in those days. We would post the scoreboards. We would sell the sandwiches. We would act as gallery guards. I posted the 18th scoreboard several times and rounded up cars for uh, officials and for players. And we would do all kinds of different things. And so when I watch it, it's sort of a, it, it, it's sort of a fond but also a, a bit of a sad time because I remember those days as a, high school and a college student there were fun times with a lot of friends but you know what I wasn't a believer in those days and my life didn't reflect faith and you know what as much as those days were fun I would never want to go back you know I'm not what I ought to be I'm not what I'm going to be but I am not what I used to be Romans 6, 5 says this, Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We were raised with Jesus by the Spirit of God. And it, the Spirit of God remains within us. We are not the same. Could you say that? Would you say, I am not the same? May not be perfect in a practical way, but I'm not what I used to be. 
It's impossible. If you've been born again, the Spirit of God planted permanently within you, it is impossible to live the way that you did before you were raised anew. You've been reborn into a relationship with God that makes you holy, perfectly holy. What's that called? What is that called? Not sanctification. Justification. Justification. But because the Spirit is within you, He propels you forward to become holy as your intimacy with God grows. And that's called what? Sanctification. Yes, sanctification. Philippians 3.10 says this. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. See, our, our power, this resurrection power, increases as our intimacy with Christ intensifies. And we have the spiritual power. If you've been born again, you're, you're not merely human. You're no longer weak. You have the power to reject sinful desires, to refuse harmful temptations, to resist hurting others, to refrain from selfish living. You can stop making excuses, and you can start making changes. What are the things in your life that need to change? You see, no longer can we say, but I'm only human. I'm merely human. You are not merely human. You possess, if you've been born again by faith, you possess the power of God, which gives you the ability to do whatever He calls you to, but it takes away all excuses. Are you experiencing that power today? Is there something in you that needs to change? Well, if you've been born again, you possess that power, so you may just be dragging your feet, or else you haven't experienced it, meaning you haven't been born again yet. Jesus was raised from the dead also to promise our resurrection. 1 Corinthians 6.14 says this, And God will raise us from the dead by His power, just as He raised our Lord from the dead. And what that's promising is that once this life ends, that's not the end. We will be raised, not just our spirits, also our bodies will be raised from the dead, just as God raised the body of Jesus from that limestone hillside from that tomb so he will raise the bodies of his people from their graves by the same power by the power of the holy spirit you can see in john chapter 5 in 8 page 856 in this bible available here at brookwood at verse 26 the father has life in himself in other words god was not created and he has granted that same life-giving power to his son. And then drop to number 28. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son. And they will rise again. 
Those who have done good, in particular by belief in Christ, will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil, rejecting faith, will rise to experience judgment. Now, this verse is not saying that we are saved by our works. We've all heard that. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. Exactly. But our works do provide the basis for divine judgment. Does that sound strange to you? Well, look in Romans 2, 6, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, 1 Peter 1, 17. All of them say that we'll be judged by our works. God judges people based on their deeds. Because their deeds, our deeds, reveal the condition of our hearts. Our works, or lack of works, reveal the presence or the absence of salvation. But they do not produce salvation. They are evidence that we've been born again, but they don't cause it. The souls of believers who die, you may wonder, well, where, where are they? Well, they're in heaven with the Lord right now, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. And Jesus said to the, one of the thieves on the cross with him, today you will be with me in paradise. Is paradise different than heaven? Per perhaps. But it meant that the spirit of this man and the spirit of all who die that are believers go to be with the Lord. And the souls of unbelievers go to a place called Hades, the place of the dead, Luke chapter 16. But both will be called from the grave, and both will be given resurrected bodies that are appropriate for eternity, but intended for different ends in different locations. Paul wrote about the nature of the resurrected body in 1 Corinthians 15. At page 928, at verse 42, and it's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness. The Greek behind the English word brokenness is actually in dishonor, in shame, and it's a reference to the, the nature and the tendency to sin. But they will be raised in glory, with dignity, with honor, like Jesus. They are buried in weakness, which is the tendency for illness and sickness, for disease that plagues us as humans. But they will be raised in strength, never to be sick again, with miraculous power. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual supernatural bodies and then drop to 53 for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies these glorified immortal heavenly bodies will be different they'll be better than the ones we inhabit now on earth. But they will still be our bodies, and they'll be distinct. They won't be like these 
vapors. They'll retain distinct identities. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus met with two men. Remember who it was? Moses and Elijah. And they were distinct. And they were recognizable as separate men. It wasn't like a vapor or they were like ghosts. So we retain a sense of ourselves, a sense of our personhood. I don't know what we'll look like in heaven. Will we all have small waist? Will the hair come back? I don't know. My three-year-old likes to say, what happened to your hair, Pop Pop? And I'll say, well, laugh now, but you may look like me in a few years. (laughs) That's my very gentle way of loving my three-year-old grandson. But you know what I do know? It won't matter what we look like. Because, you know, in this world, we are so caught up with our appearance, aren't we? But our attention will not be focused on ourselves. We will be caught up, enraptured, completely focused on the one who showed his love for us by dying willingly in our place and offering us a life with him in eternity. Yes, we can have hope of eternal life. You know, as we grow older, we think about those things. Some of us have illness, and it causes us to be concerned. But we can believe that we will pass from this life directly into God's presence and remain there until Jesus calls our bodies from the grave to be rejoined with our spirits. Jesus said this to a woman named Martha, whose brother he raised from the dead. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe that? Do you believe in the one who died so you could live forever? Even if you say, I don't know. I've heard this before, but I don't know whether I truly believe it. I don't know whether it applies to me. Well, if you want to talk to someone, there'll be care volunteers here. They'll be at the care connection room across the concourse. They'll, they'll answer questions. They'll pray for you. They'll anoint you with oil for healing. They'll meet with you in the future if you want to pursue this idea of trusting in the sacrifice of Christ so you will be forgiven and you'll spend eternity with the one who died and was raised for your forgiveness. Father, we thank you that you provided all that was necessary. You took our sins, you placed them on your son, and then you punished him fully so we could be forgiven completely. We praise your name. Amen.
Thanks for joining us for the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This week, reflect on Psalm 145, verses 1 through 13. What words and phrases are most significant to you in this passage? Spend time meditating on this passage several times this week and ask God to reveal himself to you so that you might be overwhelmed with his glory and goodness. Here's our memory verse, John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. In our next episode, we'll begin a new series called Love God, Love People. And to prepare, read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Please subscribe to this podcast. And if you like what you hear, leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for listening and have a great week.